everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. So last week we talked about how uh, how we are a, of a different kingdom and how that sometimes causes uh, confusion. And, and we, we look and people wonder, why are we different? Because kingdom values are supposed to be different than the toxic values of this world. And so we, we talked about how we are not of this world, that, that we as Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. And so we serve a different king than the people around us. We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. And let me just ask, didn't Jeremy do a great job starting the series last week? Oh, man, thank you. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for doing that. Because today, he set us up last week to dive today and next week into the book of Jude. I said last week, long before the Beatles ever wrote the song, it was a book in the Bible, a letter by a guy named Jude that we're going to meet today. And we're going to read, uh, go all the way from beginning to the end of his book in two weeks. And, I, and, and that sounds scary until you realize it's really, really short. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's only 25 verses. It doesn't even have multiple chapters like most other books in the Bible. It's all just one chapter. 25 verses. And these are not all the books of the New Testament, but I just kind of want to show you sort of the last books or of the New Testament, the last books of the New Testament. James, we're going to meet James in just a little bit today. Who was James? We're going to find that out today. And then the apostle Peter wrote two letters to the churches. And then John wrote three letters to the churches. I wasn't planning on this, but I just happened to think of a joke. I don't know that it's appropriate, but when it comes to your mind, you just have to get it out. That, that, uh, did you ever hear about the, the camp meeting, kind of like at Beulah camp? The church camp where they had the, the porta potties and they were labeled first John, second John, third John. Okay, maybe maybe some things are better left unsaid. Uh, and, and then you have the very last book of the boot, uh, of the Bible, Revelation, the famous book of Revelation. But a lot of people have never even heard, have kind of skipped over this one little book called Jude that's just one page, just one page of writing before the book of Revelation. Now, I wonder how many of you here today have a brother or a sister? You have siblings. Let me see those of you who are online right now. You can go ahead and comment too. Tell us, do you have siblings, a brother or sister? Now, here's the real question. How many of you used to fight with your brother or sister? Yeah, okay, you're amazed you made it out alive, right? How many of you still fight with your, no, 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 don't, don't raise your hand for this, uh, with your brother or sister? Now I'm going to start a fight. A little boy went to school, and on the first day of school, uh, the teacher asked him, what, what do your parents do for a living? And, and he said, well, my father is a magician. And she said, a magician? That sounds interesting. Wow, does he have a favorite trick? And, and the boy said, yeah, he saws people in half. And she said, wow, well, that sounds exciting. Uh, do you have any brothers uh, or sisters? And he said, yep, uh, two half brothers and a half. 
and a half sister. Come on now, that was good, right? That was good. Okay. Don't worry, they get worse. Uh, but uh, now, you, Joel, what does that have to do anything? There's a point. Are you ready for the point? You never saw this one coming. We're coming in the back door here. Jude is known as the half-brother of Jesus. See, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says, isn't this Jesus? Somebody is, is seeing Jesus and trying to figure out, I, I think I know who this guy is from Nazareth. And so they ask this question, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Now, I want you to imagine growing up in that family. Did, did you ever get jealous of your brothers or sisters? Did, did you ever have people who compared you and say, why can't you be more like your brother? Oh, your sister is so perfect. Well, imagine being Jude. His brother actually was perfect. How hard must that have been? Do you suppose the younger boys would be out playing by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they're throw, throwing the ball around and, 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 and somebody misses and the ball goes out onto the water and the lake and somebody's like, Jesus, walk out and get it. Or at, at, at Hebrew school and, you know, poor little Jude is getting C's and D's in Bible class. And the teacher is like, remember Jude, WWBD, what would brother do? <laughs> or, 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 you know, James, Jude is playing around. James and Jude are, are playing in the house and, and, and knock over a vase and it's Mother Mary's favorite vase and, and, and she comes in, who did this? And, and Jude's like, Jesus did it. Jesus, Jesus is lying. And she's like, really, Jude, Jesus is lying, really? And he's like, all right, I did it. Like, you just can't win. And so, so we have evidence in scripture that Jude's, or that Jesus's brothers actually did resent it. I, I, I'll show you in just a second, but first to give you some context, let me show you a map of, uh, of Israel. And, uh, and here you have uh, Nazareth, which is up in the region called the Galilee region near the Sea of Galilee. And then down the Jordan River, you have Jerusalem, which is near Bethlehem and the Dead Sea. And so Jesus spent most of his ministry time up here around the Galilee region. But every year there was a festival down in Jerusalem called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was really, really common for people from all around, for Jews to travel and make their way to stay in Jerusalem for the, for the long weekend, as Canadians would call it, uh, for, uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so at a certain point, Jesus's brothers come to him and they're, 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 they're teasing him and they say, well, Jesus, why don't, why don't you go down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and kind of do some of your miracle tricks and show off? And it sounds like they were being helpful, but the Bible verse actually tells us that they were being sarcastic. They're making fun of him. Look at John chapter seven, verse two 
through five. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus's brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. Now listen to what they say. No one who wants to become a public figure. They're like, Jesus, if you really want to be a celebrity, if you really want to get famous, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And just in case you think that maybe they're being sincere, the Bible makes sure in verse five that you know that they are not because it says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. It's sarcasm. They're making fun of Jesus. Can you sense the family tension wrapped up in this? And so next time you get frustrated because you feel like your family is getting toxic, just remember this, even Jesus had family problems. Now, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Maybe you're like, oh man, well, I guess there's no hope for me. Well, no, here's my point. Listen, if your family's giving you a hard time, if you have a hard time getting along, if you feel like some types people compare you unfairly to your siblings and, and, your, and your parents think that, you know, well, maybe you're not as special as everybody else and, and maybe people tease you and, and, and are sarcastic about your, your faith and what you're trying to do for God, remember this, even Jesus had family problems. Isn't that, is that good news? I don't know. Maybe it's not, but it's an encouragement to me. And so that's why it is absolutely amazing when you find Jude some 30 years later, writing this letter to the church that we're about to read. And we're about to see that something has changed in the life of Jude. We're in Jude verse one. And back in those days, you would sign a letter and at the very beginning, at the very beginning of the letter, you would introduce yourself. And so he starts out and he tells us two things. He says, I am Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now I mentioned earlier on when we read some of the family list in, in Matthew, remember uh, that, that we, we were introduced to James as the oldest other brother. And so James, it's really significant that he mentions that he's a brother of James because James also became a follower of Jesus later on after at first having been skeptical and making fun of Jesus. And, and James actually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, probably the most significant church, right? In Jerusalem, the leader was James. And so he says, I'm a brother of James, but notice how he identifies his connection with Jesus. He says, I am a what? I am a servant of Jesus Christ. So something's happened. See, Jude used to be a mocker of Jesus, and now he's a servant of Jesus. He, he used to be one who made fun of his brother, and now he worships Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we don't know exactly where that change took place. 
The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe, maybe it was at a certain point where, where Jesus and Jude had a private conversation and, and, and Jesus said something to Jude and, and all of a sudden it, it, it came together for him. Maybe it was in a public teaching, something that Jesus said. And Jude was, was amazed and realized this really is the son of God. Maybe it was, it was a miracle that, that Jude saw Jesus do a miracle and all of a sudden he realized, wow, this really is the Messiah. Maybe it was standing at the foot of the cross and seeing Jesus die for the sins of the world. Maybe it was after his resurrection power as he came back to life, maybe it was after the ascension as the disciples began to spread the good news and, and the church began to grow and people started to, to have their lives transformed and, 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 and miracles took place. We don't know exactly where or when or how it happened, but something has changed in the life of Jude. He's been transformed and now he is a man on a mission. Now he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And so one day Jude feels the need to sit down and write a letter that he has some things that, that need to be said to his brothers and sisters, Christians in the church. And, and, and let's start again in verse one and then we'll keep going into verse two this time. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, he says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, we're going to come back to that, that phrase, that last part of verse 2, in just a little bit, because I think, I think the last part of verse two, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. I think that's really the key to understanding the whole thing when, you, when you're trying to put together what the, the letter that Jude writes really means. And so we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But notice who he writes this to. He writes this to Christians in the church. And he says, to and listen to the passion in his heart, the passion. He says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. And in verse three, he's, he's about to, to tell them how eager he is to talk about all that good stuff. He says, dear friends, he, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, he says, that's what I wanted to talk about today. He said, when I sat down to write this letter, what I really wanted to, to be able to focus all of my attention on was how good God has been to us, how Jesus has freed us from our sin and freed us from the bondage and addictions of our past and healed the brokenness in our hearts. I wanted to write to you. I was eager to write to you about all this good stuff in the salvation that we share. But Jude says, but I also have to address some problems. He said, I, I have come to know that there are some toxic things that have started to happen in the church. 
And so he continues. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He said, I felt that, that, that what I needed to do though, even though I wanted to write this celebratory, encouraging, beautiful, wonderful, happy letter, he said, I felt like it was very, very important for me to write and talk to you about a struggle that is going on. And he says, and I need to urge you to contend for the faith. Now, now what does that what, what does that insinuate to you, the idea of contending for something? That's like a word of competition, right? To contend for something means that there's going to be a struggle. It, it's kind of like a wrestling match, almost. And so, in other words, Jude is saying the Christian life is not always going to be easy. And in the rest of the verses, down to verse 25, he, he, he says, especially at the end of, the, of the, the letter, he says that you're going to have to contend for your own faith, that there are some struggles, some internal struggles that are, that are going on, and, and you need to contend for, for your own faith. But he also identifies in the coming verses, before he gets to that conclusion, how there are some people who have slipped into the church who are causing more harm than good. Picking up in verse four. And so Jude now gets to the point. Okay, here we go. For certain men, he says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you into the church. And so notice he says, have written about long ago. In other words, it shouldn't surprise you, but many times it does surprise us, doesn't it? Many times it surprises us when we find out that not everybody in church is perfect. Right? Like, like sometimes, and, it, and, it, and it's heartbreaking when you see it, sometimes people who are immature in their faith, maybe people who are, who are new Christians or who have, who have kind of called themselves Christians for a long time but have never really been rooted and grounded in the faith and, and in the word of God, will all of a sudden have a bad experience with somebody else in the church and think, oh, well, this all must be a fake. And, and in that hurt and in the pain, they end up walking away from church because they find out that not everybody in church is what they make themselves out to be. And Jude says, listen, that should not surprise you. Listen, look at it again. He said, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude says there are some people who call themselves Christians, 
but they're into sexual temptation and, and immorality and, and they think it's okay to be greedy and selfish and to make everything about themselves all the time. And Jude says, watch out. And he continues in verse five, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And so Jude is preaching some, some old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone here. Like, this is not politically correct teaching. And we think, come on, Jude, lighten up. Why can't you be more encouraging? Why can't you be more affirming? But remember, he already had been encouraging. He started with the good stuff, right? He started with the good stuff. But then he said, but we also need to get real and raw about something. You see, he said, if Jesus is the good news, we have to recognize that there must also be some bad news. And what exactly is the bad news? I don't think I have to tell you because all you have to do is look at the world in which we live and you see bad news all around you, right? Anybody watch the news this weekend or read anything at all online? Anybody check the internet this weekend? Don't worry, nothing bad happened. Everything was perfect, right? Wrong. And so we look around and what do we see? We see destruction and sickness and, and war and hatred and, and, and violence and, and prejudice and disease and the ravishing effects of our sin in the world all the way back since God perfectly created the world in his in his blessing, but then our sin distorted and began to mar things. And, and, and Jude said, listen, and he said, and I need you to know something, Christians. Jude says the bad news is not just out there, it's also in our churches. That even church can become toxic. Even pastors can be toxic. And so, so I've got a, 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 an assignment for you this week. What I want to do, I said we're going to go all the way through to verse 25, but I didn't say I was going to cover every verse myself. I'm giving you an assignment. I want you to go home this week and read through the entire letter that Jude wrote to the church. You're like, Joel, I don't have enough time. I think you do. It's only 25 verses. You can do it in a few minutes, Okay. And, and what you will see as you read through Jude is you will see how Jude says there are people in your life, people in, in the church who look good and wonderful on the outside. But you will find as you get to know them over time that they are toxic. 
And then Jude, near the end of the letter, makes it personal and acknowledges, and guess what? Sometimes the person who becomes toxic is you and me. That all of us can slip into this. And so he gives some very specific advice for how both to safeguard ourselves against becoming it and how to safeguard ourselves from those around us who have become toxic, even in the church. But here's the point. Jude says, and you've already heard us talk about it. They talked about it in the pre-service. By the way, that was, that was fun in the pre-service. Some of you don't realize if you get here 15 minutes early, we've got all kinds of fun and games and all kinds of great stuff going on. And, uh, and in the pre-service, though, in the midst of all that stuff that was happening, they, they kind of gave away the punchline what the point of the message was today. And then Joyce did it again. So it's not a surprise to you if you've been here since the beginning today, but, but just pretend like this is an aha moment, okay? Are you ready? Pretend to be surprised. I think here's the point. Jude is saying, we live in a bad news world, but Jesus calls us to be good news people. Can you say it with me as if you're hearing it for the first time? Here we go. Let's say it together. All together. We say, we live in a bad news world, but Jesus calls us to be good news people. Now let's say it like we believe it. Everybody at home, wherever you are, you can say it out loud too. Maybe you're out on the back porch and in a cottage uh, or in a campground somewhere. I want you to see it. Say it loud enough wherever you are that the people at the campground all around you at Fundy National Park going, what is going on with those Jesus people over there camp? You say it loud enough that they can hear it in Alma too, okay? Here we go. Let's say it together. We live in a bad news world, but Jesus calls us to be good news people. And remember we said, oh yeah, we can, let, let's, let's, just, let's just be reminded together. And so... So I said, I think the key, though, to understanding this whole letter is, is verse 2. In verse 2, he says, because mercy, peace, and love can be yours in abundance. Imagine what the world would look like with people, with Christians, who live with an abundance of mercy, peace, and love. Wow. And, and so, so, so as you read through this week, the 25 verses of Jude, I think you're going to see, he says, that the problem is that there are, are people who, who seem to be about Jesus, and yet there is no mercy. They're all harshness and judgment without mercy. And he says, that, and, and the problem is that we, that we have, have people who are troublemakers rather than peacemakers. Christians who seem to take more joy in stirring up conflict than in resolving it. And he says, and, and there, there are people who claim to love Jesus, but you look at the way that they treat other people and it doesn't much seem to be marked by love. And I think, you know, we talk often about how what God has called us to be is this balance between 
Grace and truth. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we talk about this all the time around here about how, how, how we tend to, to run to one side or the other. How some Christians are all grace, grace all over the place, but not really concerned about truth. And that's not healthy. That is, grace without truth is powerless to change a life. But some Christians we know also are all truth, 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 but it's all harshness with no grace. And, and so we talk often around here about how, how, how what Jesus represents for us, the fullness of grace and truth is when you speak the truth, but it is, it is lathered and smothered in grace. That's love. And what does that look like? Here's what the good news looks like in people. John Ortberg says, in the good news life, those who have too much would give to those who have too little. Israeli and Palestinian children, oh, come on now. Israeli and Palestinian children would play together. Their parents would build homes for one another. In, in offices and, and corporate boardrooms, executives would secretly scheme to help their colleagues succeed. They would compliment each other behind their backs. Tabloids and grocery store news magazines would be filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows would feature mothers and daughters who love each other deeply and wives who actually gave birth to their own husband's children. Disagreements would be settled with, with grace and civility. Doors would have no locks. Cars would have no alarms. Schools would, would no longer need police presence or even hall monitors. Students and teachers and janitors would honor one another's work. At recess, every kid would get picked for a team. Churches would never split. People would be neither bored nor hurried. No father would ever again say, I'm too busy to a disappointed child. Divorce courts and battered women's shelters would be turned into community recreation centers. Every Every time one human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement and affection. No one would ever be lonely or afraid. People of different races would join hands together. They would be honored and enriched for their differences and be united in their common humanity. And in the center of the entire community would be its magnificent architect the most glorious resident, the God whose presence fills each person with unceasing splendor and ever increasing delight. Listen, my friends, that is what Jesus died for. We live in a world that is broken by our sin, but Jesus came to break the chains. And that's the good news. Listen, Jude says in this letter, he says, don't settle for anything less 
less than the beauty and the holiness that God has called us to. He says, don't settle for gossip and backstabbing in the church. Jude says, don't put up with false teaching and, and, and people who sow division and, and consternation in the church. He says, don't put up with half-hearted, wishy-washy teaching because Jude says, I'm here to tell you something. He says that Jesus came to fill you with his mercy and with his peace and with his love so that you can be overflowing in abundance and it begins to spill out to the people around you so that together, shaped by the truth of his word and empowered by the spirit of God, together we can be his good news people in a bad news world. Come on, give him praise today. Amen. So next week we're going to come back together and 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 look at the rest of Jude and I think you're going to I think you're going to want to see what the rest of what he has to say. I think it's going to be really helpful and give us some really specific steps. You're like, "Well, Joel, this is great theory, but what do we do about it?" That's next week. And maybe you can think of some people you need to bring next week. And I'm also, I think, if we have time next week, I'm going to tell you a story about one of the funniest things that has ever happened in my entire life. And uh, so I'm looking forward to sharing that. But if you would stand, let's stand together as the band gets ready to lead us in a time of worship. And in, I'm going to pray. And then at the end of this, this prayer, I'm going to, to put up where you can see it, the last two verses of Jude, verse 24 and 25. And they are actually a blessing that Jude declares over the church, over you and me, and even the child, a blessing for everybody here today. And so let's pray together. Just wait a minute. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize because just like Jude, some of us used to be skeptical of Jesus. Just like Jude, maybe there was a time in our lives when we made fun of Christians and mocked them. But Lord, thank you for those of us who have surrendered to you and found that you have transformed our lives like Jude, that we can be filled with mercy, with peace and love overflowing in abundance because of what Jesus has done for us. And yet, Jude acknowledges that, that it can also be a struggle as we contend for our faith, as we struggle sometimes within ourselves as we, we struggle with habits and temptations and old thinking and, and, 
and, and bad attitudes and, and misunderstandings of who you are because of our ignorance of your word. And, and Lord, as we contend for our own faith, Jude reminds us that there are going to be people who come along who also give us a hard time and make it hard to follow Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that you would just give us courage today. Maybe there are specific people who come to mind. Give us courage today. Like Jude. To respond with strength and with grace to those toxic behaviors. And so now... In the name of Jesus, I want to declare over you this closing blessing, this, this benediction before we sing together and declare for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And as we sing in just a minute, I want you to think about this, this blessing, this benediction declare, Lord, we want your kingdom to come into our families. We want your kingdom to come into our community. We want your kingdom to come, Lord, and your will to be done in our lives, in our church, as it is in heaven. And so Jude says to you, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.